This is why we love racing in all its forms. That's King of Swing fighting though. Oh, he's a superstar, a champion pacer. Untapped holding on. What a win. Untapped from the Harrison Sandown Cup. But Gold Trip is brave. A hundred to go. A length and a half emissary. Gold Trip is going to win the Lexus Melbourne Cup. For the next hour, RSN is cracking the codes. A very good morning to you from the Cracking the Codes team here on Australia Day morning. A, a special show and I welcome in the two favourite people that I spend Cracking the Codes, do Cracking the Codes with Dan Malecki and Matt Stewart. Um, Guten Morgen. And we're back again Saturday. So it's nice to have an extra show this week and um, a good way to start off Australia Day. It brings back lots of memories for me. I know it's not everyone's favourite day but I've always had a a good time Australia Day growing up as a kid and um, some of the activities we used to do and go to and follow on as an adult and of course lots of racing today too. Yeah, it's sort of iconic day to day, Dan, isn't it? Like it is. The Rock, Balnaring, uh, and of course Sandown for the Blue Diamond Prel previews. previews. Yep. Bit of a uh, blast from the past moment for you as well. Uh, yep. You had a innocent gamble, I, I believe, I yeah. remember. Yeah, he won on debut, won a Blue Diamond preview, and it's so exciting. He won that day, uh, and then all of a sudden he's second favourite for the Blue Diamond, and a horse that we bred, and uh, I, I know the feeling that anyone that's got a two-year-old that's going there today, and they're going to go well, the aim would be a Blue Diamond, and it's so exciting. It's the biggest two-year-old race uh, in Victoria, um, and having been you know, with a horse, every time you've got a young horse, and it's getting fit and close to the races at this time of the year, that's your hope, isn't it? And we had one that we didn't get to the Blue Diamond, but but it was in the papers, and he was in second favourite quickly after he won, and it was just a wonderful ride. He didn't win again for about two and a half years. We ended up sending him to Taz, and he turned out to be Horse of the Year there. He won about 11 with Barry Campbell, but um, look, it was fantastic, and it's so exciting. And with a two-year-old, um, even if they've got ability, they they could pull up shin saw. There's so many different directions that they can go to or from. Uh, so it's a huge day for anyone with a two-year-old there today at Sandown. Well, it's the, most of them, you know, the unraced, it's the unopened present, mm. isn't it? It's the, un, yeah. it's the unraced pup, it's the unraced pacer, trotter, galloper. Uh, yeah, so you, they're all unbeaten until they, <laughs> until they race, aren't they? So, yeah, that's yeah, right. I, and I'm fascinated. I don't bet much on them, but I love looking at them. The um, And I think it's probably the same in all codes. You're, you're looking at what they might become and yeah. what they already are and whether, which one's got the, the, the ready-made maturity and which ones are going to catch up a little bit later on. So, yeah, no, there's something about the... Uh, uh, the the babies at this time of year, there's no doubt about it. I, I think Sean, remember the, the really good sprinter, good old Ted? Yep. Did he win a Blue Diamond preview? Yeah. He, he did uh, too. He won the range of quality first up and then uh, won one and we got into the Blue Diamond with him. Well, there you go. And for about five seconds, I know what it's like to win a Blue Diamond. Is that Quartz's year? Yeah, Quartz. Quartz. Yeah. yeah, you led to the turn of the Quartz. Got away, Griffo rode him and uh, yeah, A he... fleeting moment of uh, oh. what if. For five seconds to know what it's like. Well, how, how exciting, though. Like I just said, yeah, you've got a horse that actually got there on grand final day and ran one heck of a race. Yeah. But it it's a, must be an amazing ride. And let's face it, he was a pretty good horse, good old Ted. Well, I was talking to Kenny Keats the other day. and It was interesting because when they were working on the track, Kenny had saloon rule. And I joked to him one morning and I said, if we can do a package deal, Kenny, and get 1500 for the two, we're probably ahead, aren't we? And he said, yeah. <laughs> and Kenny was clocking him. And one morning he said, ah, stop watches. There's something wrong with this. He said, bro, this reckons they've broken 33s. This is rubbish. And they had. <laughs> and uh, but and the horse was Saloon Real. She yeah. won one as well. She yeah. was a superstar. She, she missed the start up. by she, 40 lengths. Yeah, the red she up missed there the, when the goats Yeah. Had, yeah. yeah. Hey, hey um, today's very iconic, isn't it? I mean, for, yeah, as you say, Simone, with the, the controversy of last year, and there was a lot of controversy at Balnarring last year because of the... Uh, the push for change and the welcome to ceremony oh, yes. and the smoke ceremony and so on. So we're going to have a chat to the, the club a little bit later on, actually, uh, in the second hour with Brendan Fraser, the president, about what's being offered at uh, the iconic uh, Balnarring meeting today. Johnny Diet later on will join us to talk about Hanging Rock today as well. Harry Coffey and others. Jai McNeil's going to join us as well later. But but we're going to sort of... There's a bit of an Australia Day theme today, isn't it, about when we've branched out and tried to conquer the world, either successfully mm. or unsuccessfully. And well, I just thought it was topical today, yeah. but... I I hope you don't mind the fact that I'm incorporating a bit of New Zealand into it. Is that okay? Anzac, we can cop that. It's yeah. totally okay with the New Zealand content you've got, Dan. But I just want to also mention that we've got the Terrelgan Cup today for the Greyhounds. Um, so a, an absolutely outstanding field lining up for that. Um, Sandown have got the McKenna Memorial tonight. So you could head to Sandown Races and then switch over to yeah. Sandown Greyhounds if you were that way inclined on your day off. So like, like I said, lots of really good racing. And um, yes, you have come up with some... 
great content again and the New Zealand one, you know that that's always where my heart is. So <laughs> no arguments from me. And just a little other little, um, not a little guest because she's a big figure in Gallup. Cindy Alderson's going to join us in about 20 minutes because uh, she had Mike Clementina who won a suite. She won it. Uh, Mike Clementina won Woolamai, Healesville, Druin, Healesville, Balnarring, Balnarring in an amazing wow. Run in 2019, and uh, and of course won the Belnarin Cup. So, she's also got Lola's pups coming along with uh, Calgrino, and she's got Jigsaw running on mm. Saturday. So she's wearing a lot of hats. All fascinators with Cindy, but uh, uh, yeah. So we'll have a chat to Cindy Alderson about 10:30 as well because uh, these pups are flying. Apparently, Calgrino really? gives nothing away mm. ever. You know, well she's fast. You know, she goes all right. That's yeah. about as much as you'll get from Cal, but. Oh, the vibe's pretty solid Is about Lola's right? well, pups. We might find out a bit more about that uh, later on with Cindy. So looking forward to that. And Robert Britton yeah. also. Uh, but that more on the theme of the, the Australiana and the, and the animals that have flown the flag uh, for, I say, Australia. But we'll use the word Australasia. But you'll know where I'm going to. There's one that's just too good to ignore that I had to incorporate that does or did have NZ next to its name. And, and, and I think it means more to us than it does to the older nations like England and America and so on who have been flying horses around and conquering the world forever because it's an old land but a young country here and we've spent a lot of time trying to prove ourselves internationally and the you know the sporting pursuits and Farlap and all that sort of stuff was all about recognising us down yeah, under. I so. think so. There's yeah. no doubt some of these uh, animals, whether it's sports people or, or the horses, it was about national and they identity. Put Australia on yeah, the map, definitely. Um, and one of them that did that in a way, not necessarily forgotten about, but I don't think people know a lot about anyone that was around in the fifties, uh, as particularly if they were mature age. I'm sure they'd know this horse because he was a top quality horse. <laughs> A horse by the name of Sailor's Guide and what he was able to do to fly the flag for Australia. And I'll just give you a bit of a, a bio on Sailor's Guide. He was actually bred in the UK, would you believe? Um, but he was born in Australia, fold 1952. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2021. So we're talking serious horse. Won a VRC Derby, St. Ledger, a Sydney Cup, an AJC St. Ledger, two Craigleys, a McKinnon, two Blamey Stakes. We're talking top shelf uh, quality horse here. He was invited to run in the Washington DC International. At that time, it was the richest race. And there were horses that represented, uh, I think it was nine countries. So he was the Australian representative in the biggest race of them all at the time, the Washington DC International. In that race, there was a horse called Belly Moss, who would then go on and win the Arc de Triomphe, ridden by Scobie Breezley. Let's just say that uh, Sailor's Guy didn't necessarily win this race on the racetrack. 1958, Washington DC International Sailor's Guide. There's some confusion breaking from the walk-up start, but no international incident. Favourites are America's Clem and Ireland's Bally Moss, the continental champion. But it's Tudor era, the second U.S. teed out front all the way, and the two Russian runners never really in contention. In the second circuit, rounding into the far turn, Tudor era bumps Australia's sailor's guide, a split-second bit of action missed by the crowd. And it's Tudor Era first by three and a half lengths, only to be disqualified on a protest. Tudor Era is bumped to second. Sailor's Guide officially the winner. A dramatic finale to a golden gallop with an all-star international cast. So nailed it in the stewards room, which is a difficult thing for Australian horses to do abroad. Remember, yeah. uh, Let's Elope had a crack. That's uh, right. We got um, got bundled out of the Beverly That's D right. yep. in, uh, in in California as well. So um, to be a foreigner and get a protest decision your way, like uh, was it Costa Zoo who lost one controversially as well? So well, a lot of uh, boxes had yeah over the years. But an amazing horse. There were. Uh, spasmodically horses that had gone overseas uh, around that time and then you had I think Tobin Bronze went over shortly afterwards um, there, there was a series of horses but they led the way so I think what Sailor's Guide was able to do and break through in, in America like it had happened a couple of decades before uh, but we'll get to that a little bit uh, a little bit later on but so that's Sailor's Guide a mighty horse and to win on the world stage and at that time as I said richest race biggest race uh, it was an invitational race it, it it was a it was a special moment, but to win it in the stewards room, the, the margin was about three lengths. But I think the package identified it really well. Yeah, yeah. Um, Shannon was before that too, and I, yeah, Shannon. I, I remember there was um, and he ran a track record in a track over there. I think, uh, 
And there's actually more of them with a lower profile than we know about. Yeah. I remember when I was doing so. I think it was something a for went cracking. Over to, yeah, yeah, something for cracking the code, Simone. Jessica Owens wrote yeah. a book on Shannon. Yeah, and I've got it at home. I haven't read it yet because I've got Peter Pan and Shannon, and um, she spoke very highly of Shannon, obviously to write a book about him. So. Maybe if I had have read it, I could have added. Which a Peter bit Pan more. are you reading, the horse one or the other one? <laughs> <laughs> with 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 Shannon, you could just imagine in their conversation. Not that we forgot about him, but it, Shannon would, if it could speak, would say, "What about me?" Yes, <laughs> quite fair. possibly. And if he could, he'd be really famous because he could talk. But um, but at that about that time, there was a huge shipment of about forty or fifty Australian racehorses that went to California and sort of got dispersed amongst the yep. racing population. There was a lot of. A surprising amount of Australian horses running on the west coast of America for for a while there because we we shipped quite a few over there. Yeah, well, Burnborough went over. He, he'd yeah. broken down, but he became a, a quite a successful stallion over there as well. So yeah. there were others that had not necessarily raced or fulfilled their racing uh, at the highest level, but become really successful stallions. Um, this horse is one of my all-time favourites, and we're going back in history. Some of this was happening before I was born, but it doesn't matter. Um, I, you know, growing up, uh, I, I don't know what age I was the first time I saw a replay of the Aintree Grand National 1973 between Crisp and Red Rum, but it it was just a race that I just couldn't believe, and I'd heard all these stories about this great jumper Crisp from Australia, and the mere fact that in that Grand National, he was run down in, he carried the equivalent of 76.2 kilos, which is 10.5 kilos more than what Red Rum carried, who would then turn out to be the greatest staying steeplechaser of all time. Five Grand Nationals Red Rum was in, he won three of them, runner-up in two, and even the horse that got beaten, seriously, 400 metres, Lescargo, who ran third in that uh, Grand National, came out and won and beat Red Rum a couple of years later. It's just an extraordinary story, an amazing race, and what an amazing horse. I found a win of this great horse, Chris. He was an Australian. He won a couple of Hiskins. Super duper. I think best jumper we've ever seen. Would that be right? Has to be. He has but, to be. But defined by, but given that recognition from in defeat. Yeah, oddly enough. And that's why I found, I yeah. felt like I found a little gold nugget there. You did. Um, in, in this win, Crisp in 1971, winning the Queen Mother Chase. And what a horse this Australian horse is, Crisp. He's coming to the final fence now after this blistering gallop, looking fresh as could be with Paul Calloway sitting up where he hopes to be sitting at the end of the champion hurdle and the gold cup. And Crisp coming to jump, and he jumps it cleanly and beautifully, and he's getting a great reception. This is a fine performance, this. New Romney jumps it second, Basket jumps it third, Royal Relief just coming to jump it fourth and running up towards the line. Here's Crisp striding away with the National Hunt two-mile champion chase. New Romney... Chasing him home now in vain, and it's going to be a near thing for third place with possibly Royal Relief going to get up and uh, relegate Basket. It's going to be a close thing for third. No doubt about the winner, it's Chris. Second is New Romney. Here comes a very close thing for third place between Royal Relief and Basket. 41 starts he had, and he won 20 races, and the majority of the time, there was not really a limit weight. In fact, you know the weight that Chris carried in the Grand National? They've limited it to a maximum weight, so no horse can ever carry what Crisp carried in that Grand National. Did he have the Again, equivalent of something like 74 76.2 yeah. kilos, which... Well, it's an animal welfare issue, really, isn't it? Well, probably, but to think that not a... You know, he would have won... You know the year that he runs second? Yeah. Red Rum, it goes down for Red Rum. They broke the track record by 20 seconds. It had been held for 40 years. They broke the track record by 20 seconds. Do you... I mean, I know we're just sort of chucking stuff up in the air, but Crisp's defeat at Aintree, and, and that race has been around for 70 million years, his defeat to Red Rum is probably the greatest individual performance no of any horse in yeah. the history of Aintree. Yeah. So yeah. that's how big that was. So, and and, and, and probably he heartbreaking as <laughs> yeah, well yeah. because he ends up running second. I told but... you I, spoke to, I interviewed his rider, um, Pittman. Um, Richard Pittman, Dick Pittman, uh, like 30 years later, and he, he fessed up that it was his fault because he said yeah. he, 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 he tried to straighten him around the dog leg and he should yeah. have just let the horse. Wandering be. off a true line. Yeah. He's been yeah, out yeah. there. He, for we were so sitting long in a, a hotel foyer and he said, you know what? It was my fault. But he was just being a polite palm, I think, you know. Uh, so Chris Couple led the way uh, many decades ago, okay? We celebrate him, superstar. Chester Manifold uh, owned yep. uh, Crisp. So when you relate the, the race to Chester Manifold, that's, that's where the link is as owner. In more recent times, I think 
Karazi has has flown the flag for what he was able to do in Japan is quite extraordinary. He won three uh, Grand Nakayama jumps, um, and and he only had a handful of steeplechase starts during that period. He, he might have each year he had uh, uh, placed in the lead up. And then he won uh, the Grand Nakayama. Now, we haven't got audio because it was in Japanese. And while I can understand Japanese, I would have figured most other people wouldn't. Well, you're multilingual, of course. Yeah, you're multilingual. Uh, gibberish is your main language, of course. Uh, uh, but just quickly on that, there was a doco on uh, Karazi recently on Racing.com, and they interviewed David Hall, the original trainer. They interviewed Eric, um, Scotty, uh, the whole crew. Uh, um, and it was an amazing story because he was a pit pony. He was tiny, and the jumps were massive. And uh, he raced in the Melbourne Cup. He'd run fourth in the Melbourne Cup, I think. And uh, he sort of came up for sale. And, and it, at first, he couldn't jump, and he was too small. So when uh, uh, when they first got him from David Hall, they couldn't have had lower expectations about Karazi. They just couldn't have, you know, imagined. And then he went on and won three, and and he was leaping these because yeah. he was nimble. That track is like a no roller doubt. coaster. So it's, he was nimble. It's, it's quite an extraordinary track to look at. Um, is up and down Dale, and it looks like a tight track, and I don't know how many loops they do of it, but it's quite extraordinary the way they go around. And, and Eric Musgrove, you know, the, the quality and horsemanship to even identify that race and, and go, because it was a part of the world that nobody had really been to before, yep. particularly with a jumper. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what Karazi did for Australian jumping uh, is not dissimilar to to what Chris was able to do. I, I remember, sorry, yep. <laughs> keep interjecting. I remember I was, I'm sure I was at the Yarra Valley races sitting in the grandstand when they played the last time he won it was played in front of a racing audience at a racetrack here. I think, I'm oh, sure yeah. I was at Yarra Valley yeah. for some reason. And I think there was a jumps race on that day and everyone was sitting there watching Karazi win at Nakayama on the, on the big screen. Yeah. It was either there or Sandown. I can't was remember it, which I one. think it was a Sunday. Wasn't it a Sunday? I'm trying to think. I remember yeah. seeing one of them, but again, I get a bit confused. It was either 05, 06 or 07. But he won three of those races. Which is extraordinary. You think of a, a, a steeplechaser winning uh, something three times. We talk about how big Winks was and Cox Plate, top level, Manicardo, Five William Reeds, all that sort of stuff. And it, it is quite amazing. Hey, just quickly, a mate yep. of mine, just back to Sailor's Guide, a mate of mine just texted me who knew the guy who took Sailor's Guide to the US as his strapper. He went over by boat. They were 30 days at sea uh, with a sand yard on the deck of the boat. Only two days... Uh, they couldn't get out due to the bad weather, so they were held up. Uh, he won because the winner was disqualified for crossing over in the straight as opposed to upholding a protest. Local rules. Yep. So, how yep. fascinating is yeah, Which was explained in the, in the clip that we had on before. But Karazi won three which grand Nakayama <laughs> jumps. There's a horse in recent years that's won that race, the Grand Nakayama I couldn't believe it. I, I actually wasn't aware of it. But a horse called Oju Chosan has won that Grand Nakayama jump six times, a steeplechaser. At 12, I think he became the oldest winner in Japan to win a feature race. He's since been retired. So six times a steeplechaser has won that Grand Nakayama jump, which it mm. blew me away. Mm. Oju Chosan or something along those lines. And knowing how the Japanese revere the horse, you can imagine how many the size of the statue yeah. Oh, really? Oh, oh, it'll be like Mount Fuji. Oh. Now, tell me if you recognise any of these names, and there's there's something I think that'll correlate uh, with this, I think significantly, because there is a trailblazer before this group of horses that I'm going to mention. Takeover Target, Miss Andretti, Scenic Blast, Black Caviar, Merchant Navy, Star Spangled Banner, and, of course, Nature Strip in the last 12 months. But I reckon there's a horse that paved the way. It was the Explorer. It was the Captain Cook, if you like. The, the human hovel. Yes. <laughs> and this is the horse I'm talking about that started the wave of Australian sprinters. Followed then by Elusive City. A furlong and a half left to go. Schwarzier, though, on the stands rail, is two in front. Oasis Dream trying hard to pick him up. They're making no impression at the moment. Followed then by Dominica. Schwarzier, Johnny Murder, three in front. The Aussie's going to do it. Schwarzier coming home to win the Kingstand. What a famous victory. Schwarzier wins it. Acclamation second. Is that the most 
the, the most important win for a sprinter for what Schwazi won both those big races, the Diamond Jubilee of which four Aussies have won, Schwazi, Black Caviar, Merchant, Navy, Star, Spangle, Banner, but he also won the King Stand, which has been won by Takeover Target, Miss Andretti, Scenic Blast and Nature Strip. But he... I think he's the one that needs the biggest pat on the back because some of those horses I don't think would have gone if Schwarzy hadn't have led that way. Uh, possibly, and I think just the logistics as well, isn't it? It's a big thing to be proving taking it a can horse, be done. Yeah. Proving it can be done and risking a horse that's so well settled and racing so well in Australia to take it over the other side of the world, not knowing how they're going to travel and acclimatise and all the rest of it. So. And the world's become smaller, though, hasn't it? I mean, you think that boat trip all those years ago with Sailor's Rest and... How? Sailor's Guide. Oh, Sailor's Guide. Sorry, Sailor's Rest at a restaurant. Sailor's down Guide on a boat. Front. Simone's tired. She always can think about his rest. No, rest. no, it's just... just um, it, makes, just, it sounds better, Sailor's Rest. Well, it's just down on the yeah. waterfront at Geelong. Anyone who's been down there knows it's a, a restaurant there. So, um, I think free plug. You get, get a free soup. Yeah. Well, yeah. Now, I've got to touch that. on a, a few harness horses, obviously, and a lot of Kiwis uh, have gone overseas. Not uh, Night Pistol wasn't. He was the Australian horse. But again, um, I think it'll be hard for people to understand uh, the, the the race call there, but what he was able to do, and of course, Lyle Creek Scotch Knights, many decades prior, won a lot of races in the US, and we've seen a few paces go, a lot of them with NZ next to their name, and um, uh, Shah Tin was horse of the year there, Dean Braun trainer, New Zealand bred, so uh, uh, incredible, you were talking about horses that may have propelled, they didn't have that champion quality, but they end up being a horse of the year, and uh, there's been a lot of harness horses to go, but more recent times, I think you'll remember this name, first start over there, and to win the Dan Patch stakes is well, it's remarkable, but we know how good he was here, and that was the great Lazarus. And McCumber has him in good striking position. Down to the inside is Rock and Ron. They come to three quarters and 122 and four. Lazarus leads for home with a Dan Patch. Lazarus by a length, length and a half to the outside. Split the house looking for the spoiler. To the inside, bit of a legend. They've less than a 60th ago. Lazarus leads the way. Split the house still there to the outside is inching closer. Coming to the wire, it's Lazarus. Lazarus by a length. Lazarus a length and a half. And Lazarus. Lazarus came forth to win the 25th running of the Dan Patch Stakes in 148 and 4. And of course, we've got Lochinvar Art over there at the moment. He trialled in trial really well last week, so he'll be making his uh, North American debut in the upcoming weeks. But uh, that was Lazarus, who no surprise went over there and he beat top class horses. That was a top class race. All right. If you're going to be called Lazarus, you want to be good. Yeah, yep. Well, you probably are. I remember thinking that when Richard Champion played for the Brisbane Bears, I thought, gee, you want to be good. Yeah, you got it. And he wore number one as well, didn't yeah. he? So if his name was Richard, I'd go okay sometimes. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> but um, who was the, the um, our man from Horsham? Justin Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. 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 And, but, but he is brilliant. Yes. He is brilliant. Yeah. Um, just on Schweiss here too, they got um, Shannon Perry uh, made a fortune. He went over there with the horse. He pallied up, the horse pallied up with a goat or something like that to settle him in at Newmarket. Uh, they got 100 to 1 in the King Stand, and then they still didn't cotton on in the uh, Diamond Jubilee or Golden Jubilee. Uh, so they, honestly, the money they won on Schwarzier was absolutely extraordinary. So, And again, another horse famous in a way in Australia involved in a protest as well, or a steward's hearing, or yeah. whatever you want to refer to it as. The stupidest upheld protest. Yeah, probably surprised everybody there. So he got, uh, uh, I think, what he, he deserved to get. But his place, uh, we remember Schwarzier as being a top horse and what he was able to do. But I think the way that he... Uh, he, he led the way, didn't he? He was the lamplighter for all those other champion sprinters from yep. Australia to go. So Definitely. his place is quite remarkable. Um, I need to give mention to the horse. Better loosen up, won a Japan Cup, obviously, and he yep. was Australian bred. Horlicks yep. had done it the year mm -hmm. before, New Zealand mare, mm -hmm. superstar. So that, that breakthrough is extraordinary. We've had a few guys Strawberry there. Road run was, place. Yeah. Strawberry Road, I think, was horse of the year in Germany at one point. Won a number yep. of races. Starcraft, in also yeah. European champion. Harada Sun, Elvstrom. Yeah. Yep, yep, uh, yep. So you think, of course, yeah. he, he won a uh, Prince of Wales Stakes. So there, number of Group Ones. Uh, he did have NZ Town next to his to name. Charlie Whittingham, but never raced in California and as a nine-year-old. You, you're very thankful that he didn't race. I wrote a letter to the editor of Racetrack Magazine when I was in Year Ten at St Pat's in Ballarat. So it was 1984. Wasn't a very memorable year. I, I was you asked. Were at Geelong College. I went to St Pat's for one year for undisclo uh, undisclosed reasons. Asked not to return, my, my brother and I. <laughs> so they never expelled kids. They just asked them not to return. So 
Uh, yeah, I remember, and I had uh, uh, I used to get racetrack and turf monthly at the supermarket in the newsagent in Ballarat, and heard about this Kingston Town going over to America as a nine-year-old and all that. So I wrote a letter to the editor of I was either Turf Monthly or Racetrack, begging them not to not to race Kingston Town in America. And it must have been older than nine because that would have been no, no, it no, was year nine. Year nine. Oh, year I was nine, in sorry. 1984. Yeah, I was going to say you would have been about fourteen or yeah, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, I, and obviously they read my plea and then they created a false injury and the horse was retired. You know, Schwarzenegger <laughs> wasn't originally planned to go to England. He was going to go to Singapore. And a virus went through the place. And uh, they was that SARS? Yeah, and they couldn't oh, race. Yeah. And Jack Petley, who was an old retired uh, Kiwi jockey turned journo, knew Paul oh, yeah. Perry and he said, mate, why don't you take him to Ascot because he's good down the straight. And they thought, well, why not? Yeah. So it was the second choice. Okay. Never the first choice to go there. So it's as if Francis Drake uh, or Captain Cook were just blown off course a little bit and, yeah. and they end up in Hawaii yeah. instead of you know, yeah. Fiji and that sort of stuff. It's yeah. Remark- oh, Cardigan Bay, we did sliding a Sliding doors, on- Cosy. Everything's exactly. a sliding Jack, door. Yeah, Jack was the one who, who started it and always seeks out the horses to go over and jockeys as well. He's the, the one they deal through. Uh, Cardigan Bay, we had a feature on a few weeks ago and, of course, uh, more than just a trailblazer. Kiwi, but did a lot of racing in Australia. The first horse of either a standard bred or thoroughbred in the in the southern hemisphere to win a million dollars, and he did that yeah. about fourteen years before Kingston Town did, which is quite remarkable. All right, we've we've come up with a, a number of names this morning, and there's plenty more there that uh, we, you know, some of our listeners may remember. Have uh, we got the SMS machine fired and up there? Have uh, have flown the flag, but I reckon this one tops it. Now there is NZ in the name. I don't have a problem with that because I reckon this horse in particular, Matthew and Simone, is adopted by uh, Australia because he was in a time that was difficult for Australia and through the Depression and his um, deeds have been uh, well documented and celebrated. You can see parts of him at different museums across New <laughs> Zealand and, and the east coast of Australia. But to go... Uh, to 1932, effectively, it was like a Washington, D.C., an invitational race at Agua Caliente, which is Tijuana in Mexico. Um, I mean, if, if Farlap never raced there, I wouldn't even know they had racing in Mexico, would you? No, I remember we had Ron Reed on to describe what Agua Caliente yep. now looks like. It was, it was turned into a zoo at yeah. one stage, and they had greyhound racing around it, and they had a zoo in the middle with lions and tigers, and Ron Reed's famous line, the late, great Ron Reed. Uh, was he thinks the big cats were there to, to motivate the greyhounds to run faster. <laughs> so. Well, this is a package I come up with, and it celebrates Farlap's uh, win. Uh, it's well-voiced, 1932 Agua Caliente Handicap. It's a thrill to see the great six-year-old ease down that track like a wonderful machine, and the crowd goes crazy as Reveille Boy makes a gallant challenge at the home stretch. For a moment, they're neck and neck, but Reveille Boy can't take it. Farlap was only loafing. Elliot gives him his head and settles down to the business of making a race out of it, and it's a walk away. And a new record of two minutes, two and four-fifths seconds, and the glorious total of $332,000 worth of winning. It's a great debut for the Australian beauty, Farlap, one of the handsomest horses ever seen on an American track. A little temperamental, but what star isn't? In one race, he's proved himself, and how the fans love it. A real champion and a new racetrack idol. Yeah, that's uh, 1932, and that, sadly the last time that uh, Farlap was ever to race again, but he beat the best, and he did it comprehensively. And no wonder that he, he as a Kiwi, uh, did you? <laughs> and I'm always reminded by the Kiwis, he was a Kiwi, but for us he was Australian. And have a look at the replay. Um, it's like watching Waverly Stars run on the Cox Plate. You forget how big a run it was. Like Farlap had three feet because he had Equilox, whatever it was at the time, and... Have a look at the slaughter of right his back, then he's wide, and then he races around him, and then he hits the front. It was a massive win. They reckon the uh, papers had two headlines ready. Australian horse mm. conquers the world, New Zealand horse beaten in yeah. America. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. Uh, Buffering and Felvalon got to get special mentions too for what they've been able to do um, uh, overseas uh, as well. Um, and I think I mentioned Sunline before, didn't I? Uh, that uh, race in, in Hong Kong and, yeah, yeah. and also... And Dubai, ganged, up, ganged yeah. up on by Godolphin and yeah. still ran third. Oh, Bel Marino, he runs mm. second in an mm. Arc de Triomphe. So, yeah. you know, big effort, uh, that in itself. And he was a mighty horse that we probably... He, he went early. A lot of these other horses are going towards the middle or end of mm. their uh, careers, a lot of them. Uh, but Bel Marino actually went pretty early uh, overseas and uh, he was something pretty special as well. I spoke to Ron Hutchinson on his 95th birthday and he rated Bel Marino one of the best horses he'd ever ridden. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Well, he would have been, yeah. 
Um, oh, good stuff, Dan. Well, well packaged and a lot of uh, on team Australia effort. Day. Yeah, really, no really team. good theme on. <laughs> yeah, good, good, good package team. Well, you're making me feel a little bit inadequate with the greyhound content here because there haven't really been many greyhounds at all that have travelled overseas where you think it would be a lot easier for a greyhound with the logistics of yeah. it all. Um, but it's probably, I would say, just due to the prize money that it's been better in Australia than it has been overseas. And, I remember the um, Irish Derby had a million-dollar prize money a few years ago. It was extraordinary. There was some big sponsorship in the Irish Derby at the Curra. The Irish Derby Greyhound race. I'll, I'll have to Google it, but I remember there was an extraordinary stake for one race, and the heats were worth stuff all, but the final was worth a staggering amount of money. Yeah. Right. Well, I'll, I'll Google it. It's still, I'm, I'm being doubted. I'll Google it. But you, st- I, no, I don't doubt you, but um, <laughs> when you look at the prize money here, why would you send no, a exactly. Greyhound halfway around the world to race in the English Derby or the Irish Derby for the prestige when it's probably not really worth it? But... I did want to mention there was one greyhound back in the 1960s called Dennis Direct that was trained by Max Wintle, who actually passed away last week. And anyone that knows Max, he was such a character. He was tied up with Lindsay Fox, and Donnie Fox actually owned the dog Dennis Direct. And it got a mention in Andrew Rule's book, Chance. Now, it comes off the paragraph that they were talking about a property called Boomerang that um, Lindsay Fox had purchased. And it also says an obscure part of his CV, Lindsay Fox we're talking about, is that his first overseas trip in the early 1960s is to America with a greyhound named Dennis Direct, trained by one Max Wintle and owned by Lindsay's brother, the professional punter Donnie Fox. Lindsay leaves a dis- dish lickers behind in the climb up the greasy pole from Paran to Portsea, but Donnie remains a racing identity. So... Lindsay actually sent his brother Donnie over because he didn't trust Max. <laughs> but we're going to have Eddie Caruana on Saturday's show. Eddie, at this stage, I'm pretty certain to talk about Max Wintle because he travelled all over Australia, um, raced at about 65 tracks. He loved to plunge and he was, if you tied up with the Fox Brothers, you can imagine there's some really interesting stories. But um, Dennis Direct unfortunately didn't race over there because the trip over on the plane, they went through, I think, Fiji and some other countries. I think the dog was severely dehydrated, so he never raced. But we are going to have Robert Britton on later in the show this morning to talk about a greyhound born a Hullah hero that did race overseas and came back to Australia, but it's an exception rather than the rule. And there was another dog, Black Aztec, that Harry Sarkis sent over many years ago. But that's the extent of greyhounds that I can come up with. Um, I wonder whether it's more arduous on them. You know how horses lose 30 or 40 kilos on the the flight over and greyhounds weighing like 27 kilos or something, whether it's actually harder on them to, to make that length of trip physically, like if they dehydrate, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Look, and I think the prize money in Australia now on greyhound racing, I mean, why would you go well, overseas? Well, that Irish derby that I was referring to, it was a one-off, so it wasn't representative. Mm. It was That's why it was such a big story, because it was so disproportionate. In 2018, it was worth 300,000 Irish pounds. Right. So, so that's a million yeah. bucks. Yeah. Um, Mary Time as a harness horse went over and competed in the elite lot. There's been a few others, and I know we'll miss a few, but Chautauqua, obviously, in the gallop sense as well. Honkers. Yeah. Very yeah. elegant. Of course, she went over there. Mm. She didn't have the... No. Maybe she shouldn't have, though. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that's not up, that's not up for debate now, but yeah. she was one mm. that has tried to go and conquer yeah. the world, and unfortunately it didn't um, and fall Winks, her way. Winks was nearly going to. I remember talking to Chris Waller about... Is she or isn't she? And he said, look, just on the sly, he said, there's a training facility on the outskirts of Sydney with a big straight run at Richmond. Yeah. And he said, this is where I've been prepping her up for Royal Ascot oh, to yeah. run in a straight line. Yeah. But she never never went there in the end. Hey, we're dragging the old chain, so we better... Take a break. Mm. And would you be Cynthia. happy to have a chat to Cindy Alderson yes, after break? Yes. Let's do my that. very good friend, Cindy Alderson. She's got Lola's pups in the greyhound world. She's got Jigsaw, the, the little champ, and she had a little champ at the picnics called My Clementina, who on this day, three or four years ago, uh, set Balnaring alight. So we'll talk to Cindy about that. This is RSN Cracking the Codes. It's 18 minutes to 11. What was it? Three seasons ago at the picnics, just pre-COVID, this the little mare set the track alight and uh, she won every major picnic cup. And by the time she got to Balnaring, the... Uh the recognition of my Clementina was just thunderous. She was like the winks of the picnics. And uh, it was a great uh, little departure from the professional ranks for Cindy Alderson and her own and my Clementina's owner, Frank. 
And Cindy's going to join us this morning just to reflect on the very day that Mike Clementina set Balnarring alight and just compare the experience of training a, a, a little flat champion like Zigsaw, who's going to run in the Australia Stakes on Saturday, with the different sort of thrill you get with uh, taking a horse around these beautiful picnic tracks. And she's going to give us an update on Lola's pups as well. And Cindy joins us. How are you, Cynthia? Good morning, Matthew. I believe you well. rolled the dice on the wrong day to take horses to the beach this morning. Oh, well, yes. Um, we did actually go yesterday, but uh, it didn't look so rough when I left them. When we got down there, it was really rough. But anyway, we survived. We're home now. Did you get dumped in the surf? No, I didn't get dumped, but I did have quite a few waves crash over me. So um, it was it was fairly uh, traumatic down there. It's probably the roughest I've ever been in there, but we'd, we'd made the commitment once we got down there that we were going in, but... Uh, Probably didn't spend as long as we would have normally spent in there. Are you going to go to Balnarring today just to re- rekindle the magic of my Clementina? I may have, except for the fact that I'm still wet. <laughs> you can put on dry clothes, you know. I know, I'm considering that. No, it's look, fashionable, it isn't it, the wet look nowadays? Yeah, I think it is. Well, I certainly don't have to buy any beachhead spray for my hair anyway. It's certainly got enough salt water in it. Um, no, look, I think that was a very special um, period of time and... It's one of those things that you just leave it as, as that sort of little moment in time, which was just perfect and really enjoyed my time with her. I have been back to the picnics, but um, I think it was just that little bit of incredulous, you know, a little bit incredulous that she just kept winning, you know, and each race. And even when, when we finally got to the Balnarin Cup, which apparently is the, the Melbourne Cup of the picnics, and I wasn't aware of how many people had strived to win it in the past. Um, and here we were with a horse that couldn't win on the flat um, in a professional meeting, unbeaten and going in as one of the favourites. But it was just, she she just was one of those horses that seemed to work for her, even though she was small. She was a good weight carrier. Um, the tempo of the races, the mile was a perfect distance for her. Everything just fell into place. And um, she was very, very genuine. And somehow or other, she managed to pull it off and she, she made it look easy, which was quite a surprise considering that when she went back to the professional, she was still where she was at the start, un- unable to win. How tall is she, Cindy? She was just on 15 hands. Oh, tiny. My daughter's got a, a little thoroughbred mare that's right on 15 hands, and everyone asks, what breed is she? Because she's just such a great pony club horse, and I say, oh, she's a little thoroughbred. They go, gee, she's little, and she's 15 hands. So you sure yeah, it's not my Clementina? Whatever became of my Clementina, Cindy? <laughs> uh, well, there's actually a bit of a sad Philip to call my Clementina story. She, um, I, 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 I think the truth be told, she probably raced so consistently and so well because she actually ended up with growth on her um, ovary, which was producing testosterone, which we didn't know at the time, and only when we went to put her in fold did we discover it. So she had to have that taken out of her, but we did think she was looking particularly well and carrying good condition, and I suppose the giveaway would have been when she tried to um, pony tease the mares at the farm um, oh. and, and foals and so forth. So anyway, we had that removed. Um, she survived that. Um, it was the size of a watermelon for a small horse like that. was pretty dramatic. Um, and then she got um, colitis, so she had to go back to the hospital for that. Um, then she bone tendon. <laughs> then she went um, to the farm for a while, and she came back, and um, she was. Tr- we tried to get her in foal, but obviously with only one ovary, she wasn't able to get in foal. So I did find what I thought was a perfect home, and it was an air hostess up in Queensland with a property of 200 acres for her to live on, and just and the, the condition was she was never to be sold. But she floated up there and she got bitten by a snake when she was oh. there after about three days. So even though she had a really good picnic career, at the end of her life was a little bit troubled. Yeah, very, uh, very troubled into her uh, life and career. Uh, um, so, and your owner, Frank, I remember talking to both of you at, um, that day and it was the day Maddie Morris got showered in an oversized bottle of champagne by the Bucks party and a bloke in a dress. And it was just this most amazing day. And uh, Frank, who was a bit of a hard-nosed old owner and punter, it kind of almost rekindled his love of attending the races, was going back to the picnics, I remember. Yeah, look, I remember when I first floated the idea to him, he was sort of a bit like, what on earth am I doing racing a horse at the picnics and why am I paying training fees? And I was... It started out as a, a, a gratuity for Maddie because she's been working really hard around the stables and, and you know, really trying hard to improve her riding. And I said, look, I'll send one to the picnic for you and, you know, give you a ride. So that's how it all started. And then, of course, she won. And then it just kept snowballing from there. And um, I think Frank sort of couldn't believe it himself. And then towards the end there, he was on the ride as much as anyone else and really enjoying it. And... Uh, 
like I said, for a man whose first horse ran in a Melbourne Cup as a favourite, it was interesting to see him at the picnics enjoying it almost as much. But that, that's, that's horse racing. And I think sometimes when you know you've got a good horse or the expectations are, you know, it's a pretty good horse and you can be let down because the horse doesn't deliver the potential it's got. There could be injuries. There's excuses. But on the other hand, there's the one that you don't think much of um, that can't disappoint you. Uh, and therefore, like my Clementina, Cindy, what uh, she was able to achieve was beyond your best expectations. And and really, that doesn't happen too often. It doesn't have to be a Group 1 winner to exceed your expectations. No, you, you're 100%. And look, it was just the whole situation as it evolved. I said we had Madison riding her, and she was working for us at the stables. We had um, Dale Short staying with us, the jockey, and his partner, Kathy, and they were taking her to the races. Um, she had her own little cheer squad there. Um, friends of mine, like Gareth Andrews, I remember he helped us strap her one day at Druin. It, it became a, a real outlet for us all to get to the races and have it. And Dad used to come along, and a friend of ours flew down from Queensland to see her. Uh, she was named after Frank's mother, so his, his whole family got on board. So it really brought everyone together, and it was the fairy tale that she just kept winning. I imagine it must be quite refreshing and enjoyable having a horse at the picnic, Cindy, as opposed to perhaps one racing in the city where there's a lot more pressure, um, the stakes are higher. It must just bring it back to that grassroots element for you. Definitely. Um, that was probably the greatest joy for me, was just going to the picnics and being able to enjoy myself. Um, and even when she was running in races like the Balnarin Cup, I didn't get nervous because it was just something that was, it was just fun, you know. I, I can't explain it. It was fun. It was relaxed. It was, there was a lot of camaraderie, even amongst the other picnic people. They almost at one stage there, I started to feel a little bit like, oh, you know, maybe they were looking at me, going, "What are you doing here with this horse?" But it wasn't that we expected her to do that. But nobody, they were all just wrapped that she was there. It was like they were enjoying having this picnic horse that was winning everything. So I, I don't, you don't find that sort of generosity as much. Um, when you go to the professionals, it's probably due to the tension and the pressure and the money and the expectations of the owners and so forth, because it is expensive to have a racehorse. But to actually go there and enjoy horse racing on its purest level, uh, which I think the picnics are, was a, was a great fillet for me. Absolutely. Uh, just a couple of quick ones before we let you go. Um, the, the legend Jigsaw is running in the Australia Stakes on... Saturday, and this is the contrast that Simone was referring to of uh, between the, the the big stakes of the big races in town and the the more relaxed atmosphere of places like Balnarring. Uh, how's Jigsaw going for Saturday, and how are Lola's pups going with Calgrino? Well, Jigsaw's in excellent order. Um, I can't fault him. Um, I'm sort of he just appears to me to be very very happy and healthy, um, right in the zone. So. He can run the 1,200. He's got a good draw. Um, Docky knows him. I, I think he's right in the race, and I hope he can uh, defy the Matthew Stewart curse of being photographed with you, at least. <laughs> Didn't do much for Sky Heights back in the day, did it? No, uh, ruined that one. Let's so not, let's not reflect on the dark days. And, uh, um, yes, and Cal Greeno, um, I, I, he keeps sending me times. I'm probably not that um, effective with Greyhound times. I've sort of got some little idea, but they're not racing yet, but they're not far off for this. There's four in, in total, and um, three of them are Cal Greeno, my parents, and myself. In the little, it's called the Little Lola Syndicate, and um, there's a boy and two girls. And the boy dog seems to be the fastest, but one of the girl dogs is as fast out of the boxes as Lola. So that's pretty exciting. Um, but Cal keeps cut, his cards pretty close to his chest, and he doesn't like me to get too excited. So. That's about all I know. All right. Yeah. Well, we'll find out more from the, the very secret of Cal Greener. Hey, Cindy, before we let you go, uh, uh, very much a Dean Lester theme at the Cranbourne Night Meeting tomorrow night uh, on the 27th. Uh, obviously, Dean's plight is, is now very well known. And uh, like the rest of us, and probably more so, you've been very close to Dean for basically all of your adult life and uh, a very special night tomorrow night for, for a very good friend. Definitely, and I think for Dean, it's a great recognition of all the all the people he's touched in the racing industry. But I mean, uh, Dean, Dean and I have a horse racing relationship, but we also share. You know, we used to take him to quite a few concerts, and uh, I used to describe um, characters around Fitzroy when I lived in that area. So we we had a different connection, just not just racing alone. So um, I've always admired Dean's tenacity and his desire to 
fight with everything he's got to, to live as normal a life as possible. And, and I know that he'll be giving this everything he can as well. And, and I just hope that someone up there or wherever it comes from gives him a break and he can get some you know, more quality time. Absolutely, uh, and we all echo that thought. Yeah, uh, well hey, said. Cindy, um, I'm kind of up, I'm sort of umming and ahhing about Balnarring today because of time restraints and so on. But I think the my Clementina memory might drag me down there, so we might <laughs> uh, we might have a chat after the show and see what you're up to. Uh, hey, thanks very much for joining us on Cracking the Codes this morning. No worries, pleasure. Thanks, Cin- guys. Cindy Alderson there. And guys, like I mentioned earlier, we have the Tarelgan Cup final tonight. So let's take a listen back to 2013 when there was a greyhound running around called Jezelenko. Racing, Fabregel on the inside came out well, showing pace was Jezelenko. Fabregel trying to boot up on the first corner. So it's Fabregel and Jezelenko. Going to third, there was Aston DB. Then for the back was Don't Kid Me. Then Aquachita, well back there was McNeo, the favourite Jackie Blackson. Extreme Magica right out of it, down the back. Jezelenko on the outside, kicking back was Fabregel. Then for the back was Aston DB, steering finish coming up. It's Fabregel the inside, Jezelenko the outside. Jezelenko, you beauty! Jezelenko gets it from Fabregel Aquachita. Then for the back was Don't Kid Me. Loving their racing, pacing and chasing. Matt Stewart, Dan Malicki and Simone Fisher. Cracking the codes. And like we've been talking about this morning, we've had expats, Australian horses that have head over, headed overseas and made it on the world stage. Not so many greyhounds, but uh, there is one trainer in particular that has... Tried to make it on the world stage, had a property in America at one stage rearing some pups and also had a greyhound that headed over here, over there and that is Robert Britton and he joins us this morning on Cracking the Codes. Good morning, Robert. Hi, Simone. Great to have you on because you can add a little bit uh, more to the greyhound content of this show with dogs that have headed overseas and there's one in particular called Bornahala Hero that's got a, a terrific story and um, there's no one better to tell it than yourself. Yeah, look... Um you know, he's probably not the greatest dog I've ever had, but he gave us some of our greatest thrills in life. Um, he was... Uh, he, he, he started off racing in Ireland, and uh, at 17 months, uh, Tim Ryan, who's uh, an Irishman that lives in Australia, uh, saw him race and uh, negotiated. He was over there for uh, his Christmas Seas family and saw the dog race at Cork and uh, won by nine lengths, and he negotiated... To buy the dog and bring him out to Australia, uh, he came out here and he was, you know, fairly successful in Australia, um, winning in uh, in uh, oh, I think all or four states on the eastern board, and also uh, uh, he was favourite for one of the puppy classics in uh, in Sydney. I just can't recall which one, but uh, uh, we had to scratch him on the day of the race because he was crook. But after that. Um, we had the temptation of the million-dollar race in America, and uh, I sent him and another dog of Sarah Pringle's called uh, Incision over there. Um, they, they landed uh, in America. Uh, they were reasonably successful without getting to the final of the uh, million-dollar race. Uh, Born Hula Hero stayed over there, and he, he was successful at Derby Lane and, uh, and um, Palm Beach. And then uh, we brought him back, and he, he still won a number of races in Australia after that. Do they adapt? I mean, when I look at the races, you know, when you're up late betting on anything, and uh, the greyhounds are on You him, make uh, it sound like we all do it. Well, some people do, or none of us, because we're very <laughs> controlled, but responsible. But when you look at the, you know, with the in England, uh, Robbie, with the, the boxes coming on the other side, and sometimes uh, with the lure on the other side of the track, and the, the staggered boxes, and I haven't seen much greyhound racing in America, so I don't know how they do it. Is it... Easy or difficult for an Australian greyhound or, in reverse, uh, an international greyhound to adapt to the various quirks of our racing and the, the turns and the starts and where the lure is and all that sort of stuff? It, it all depends where you're going. Like, from Australia to America, uh, the dog I said, Incision, he won at uh, the Meadows on the Saturday night and 12 days later... Oh, sorry, 14 days later, he won in the, uh, in uh, Derby Lane in America. Uh so he, he just jumped on a plane the day after uh, the Meadows. He went over there, a few days to recovery, trialled, and then he won. So uh tells you you could do that fairly easily. But in saying that, they've got the inside lure and a fairly similar system to us. 
whereas uh, from Ireland or or England to Australia is a completely different thing because uh, the lure is on the other side and uh, it's not easy. Do, how much does it cost for a greyhound to go overseas, whether it's America or, or the UK in this instance? Um, and do the doggies get the opportunity of being upgraded to first class or is it just economy for them? Look, um, it's, the, the cost is not a great deal. It's, uh, you get a dog over to America for probably 3500 or something like that. But the, the, the problem we've got... Um, Sending a dog to America is easy because they don't have... They've got every disease in the world and, and we can send them there next week and race. But uh, sending dogs back to Australia or sending dogs to Ireland is not as easy because of the quarantine laws. And uh, For example, that's why not many dogs have travelled. It's because uh, of the six months. You have to have rabies jabs six months prior to going. So Greyhound's life's only 12 to 15 months. So uh, it makes it very difficult to... to uh, do that but again this quarantine things it's held it back over the years i think the johnny depp and amber heard uh found out the hard way didn't they when they were trying to bring their little pistol push. pistol and boo <laughs> <laughs> uh, robert I, we haven't even mentioned australian dogs going to new zealand that's a more common occurrence and we actually have one that's um heading over there hopefully for the gold collar series uh in a couple of months time so we haven't even that's a good t- race name gold collar yeah we haven't touched mm. on on that at all. We've been speaking more about going further abroad. And Robert, you had a property in America. I haven't spoken to you about this for quite some time. Did you sell that property? Um, because they're closing yeah. a lot of tracks there, aren't they? And now we're sending dogs to America to be pets, not to actually race. Yeah, exactly. And um, COVID sort of uh, threw me over there. Look, and, and as well that the, you know, the industry is declining over there. Um, so it was the perfect time to sell. But Again, um, I, I'm, you know, disappointed in it because I was really enjoying the, the ride, and we had a number of dogs racing in America at that time. But uh, and we had, you know, a number of uh, Australian brood bitches we'd sent over there, and um, and they were been their pups were successful. But again, um, you know, the world moves on, and uh, uh, Australia is booming where America is declining. And you look at um, the import of um, you see me typhoon, don't you? Fanta Vale's mother. I mean, that was a, a terrific import coming back this way. Yeah, look, I, I, we've had a lot of success with uh, um, with buying dogs in America and bringing them back to Australia. Uh, and again, um, we did it, it was the hard way because of the quarantine laws. And we were buying them at you know twelve and a half, thirteen months of age because we knew we had a six month wait. And again, you know those sort of things. Um, if there was a will within uh, industry and the government, they should have been sorted out many years ago because, you know, like when the uh, 2000 Olympics uh, came along, uh, all of a sudden they changed the rules to suit the uh, equestrian horses. But again, greyhounds didn't have that profile. It's never been changed. Yeah, that sounds like a, a conversation for another day for sure. But, um, Robert, look, thanks for joining us on Cracking the Codes this morning and giving us a bit of an insight into a very well-travelled dog and um, your experience with racing in the US as well. As well. No problem, Simone. Well, guys, that comes to the end of a great Australia Day show. Um, we've had some messages, Dan. I know you've received yeah, a couple I of messages. Yeah, I had to get back to all of them, but yeah, and a lot of uh, on our machine in here as well. So that's fantastic. People have been able to enjoy it. Um, we're going to be back doing another show in two days' time. We, we sort be. of lose track of today being Thursday, but we'll be back with Cracking the Codes, on, and you'll be back on Saturday morning. Yeah, looking yep. forward to it. I'll see you then, but we'll um, for then. now you've got another hour. Race Day of mornings. Race Day.